Hey there, Nerd Clan. This episode of Outlander Cast is brought to you by MinuteWithMary.com, where you can check out all things beauty, skincare, and makeup related. And I'll be real with you, I'm not wearing a ton of makeup right now because I have a mask on my face most of my most of the time. And I expect that a lot of you are feeling that too. So if you actually wanted to get some tips and tricks about how to renegotiate your skincare routine to work with a mask, or maybe how to make your eyes pop because that's the only part of your face that's showing most of the time, I got you. Actually, I have a Facebook group completely devoted to tips and tricks, and it's complimentary, my friend. All you need to do is search that hashtag MinuteWithMary on Facebook and request to join my marvelous VIPs. Okay, you ready? Let's do it. Yeah. All the way from Providence, Rhode Island, welcome to Outlander Cast. It's a podcast dedicated to the show Outlander on Stars. Sing me a song of a last song. My name is Blake. That it is. And it's it's been a while. It's, it's been quite a while, my friend. Myth. A couple, couple of months. Couple of months, I think. At, Truly. At, right around there, at least. But we're back. We're back. Ready to go. And talking some Outlander. Yeah, man. Like talking some deep Outlander stuff. Stuff that you don't necessarily always think about when it comes to Outlander, but it really makes it happen. So this is going to be an awesome interview, and we are so excited to share it with you. Um, if Dratlander has has brought some boredom to your life, or some just malaise to your life, <laughs> dinner fash Sassanox, because Blake and I are doing a bunch of stuff during Droughtlander that we wanted to make sure you knew of. Um, you can actually head on over to jointhenerdclan.com. It's the revamped outlandercastclan.com. Yep. Because Blake is reading... Midnight Sun, yes, the Twilight uh, book from Edward Cullen's perspective. We also have been having a complimentary podcast called The Potterverse, and we're going through chapter by chapter and movie by movie of the Harry Potter universe. Uh, We did conclude the Crown podcast for season three. We'll see if we can dabble into the earlier seasons. So things are cranking along. So if you are feeling a little bit of the doldrums right now, and you want to spice things up, know that you can head on over to maryandblake.com or follow us at Mary and Blake on all sorts of social media as we are going to have a lot of stuff to keep you company. Yeah, and, and before we get into all that, I just I have to say, I'm very excited about this uh, this interview. Oh, yes. I, I am ready. I am ready for it. It's, Je suis prêt. This is, what, this is one of those things that has been developing over the past year or so, really since the finale of season four. Wow. So this has been a long courtship. This, this has been a very long courtship. Yeah. And it's just, you know, between schedules and, and this and that and everything else in between. Uh, and then, you know, of course, the, the world pandemic that we're in. You know, it, n- you know. nothing is ever easy, no. right? Nothing is ever easy. <laughs> uh, but those things that are worth it, Never come easy, and I'm telling you that this one was worth it. I'm so excited about this conversation, what we're going to be getting into, and what we're going to be talking about, the very specifics of what it takes to direct an episode, mm-hmm. and and getting meaningful uh, performances, and, mm-hmm. and the, getting down to the nitty-gritty of, of the craft. Um, yes. 
the craft of directing, uh, I think this one may live up to Anna Forster. Ooh. I'm not going to lie. For those of you who've been listening to Outlander Cast a long time, you know my obsession. That is high praise, with, yes. With Anna Forster and uh, in, our, in particular, our interview with her yeah. way back when. So uh, this, this is a big deal. Agreed. And listen, if this podcast episode brings you joy, please feel free to share it. Share it on your Facebook page, your IG stories, retweet it, share the YouTube link. Podcasting gets known by their people because people share it. Sharing yep. is caring when it comes to podcasting, so please make sure to let other people know, hey, this has made me smile. This helped me appreciate one of my favorite shows even more so. And also, if it does bring you joy, please feel free to leave us a rating, a written rating, in your podcast app of choice. Five stars especially is like a big warm hug to Blake and I over the interwebs. So I like thank warm you. hugs. I know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You ready to get into it? I am. Let's do it. Woo! Joining us today is Stephen Wolfenden, an acclaimed director and second unit director whose credits include the Harry Potter and Fantastic Beasts franchise, The Legend of Tarzan, Pokemon Detective Pikachu, which we just saw during lockdown time, Doctor Who, Poldark, and many more. But we, of course, all know him as a director of such Outlander episodes as Man of Worth, The Fiery Cross, Between Two Fires, The Ballad of Roger Mack, and Famous Last Words. Stephen, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on Outlander Cast today. Pleasure. Thanks for asking me. I hope I can help quench the thirst of this first part of Droughtlander. <laughs> yes, yes. It's, it's a long Droughtlander. I, I am not looking forward to this one. It's going to be at least 18 months, I think. At least 18 months. Oh, my goodness gracious. But to hear that things in in television and movies are starting to get back to some sense of, of things happening is giving us hope, of course. Right. So <laughs> we're keeping our fingers crossed. So, Stephen, we wanted to first poke your, poke your mind a little bit about season four. So we're taking, taking a trip down memory lane at this point. What was the process like for getting the... The Outlander job in season four, especially since it was the finale. Right. So um, Outlander is produced um, by Left Bank Pictures in uh, in the United Kingdom. They're the sort of production service company. They have some executive producers, and I have done various projects for them. I've, I've done Strike Back. I've done The Halcyon. Um, and uh, they've been very supportive of my directing career. So I had a connection there, and they started talking about Outlander, and this show was starting, and I, I looked at it at Series 1 and Series 2 and really excited me about the uh, the quality of the cast, the quality of the crew, um, and then it suddenly got a buzz about it, uh, and it really got a, a very sort of dynamic momentum with with a fan base quite quickly um and so i laid my cards on the table and and got my agent to speak to left bank and they put they were put in touch to um david brown and merrill and um i had a call with david brown and merrill for series three i think in 2016 uh, and that didn't work out i i ended up doing poldark um and uh, then 
I was just finishing second unit work on Detective Pikachu, and I was actually in the Highlands. And they said there's this one last episode of series four, um, and would you be interested? And I was there. I had this amazing view of uh, one of the one of the locks um, near near Ben Nevis, and uh, I said yes. And I was there in about two weeks. Two weeks later, so it was a it was a couple of Skype calls and um, a connection with Left Bank Pictures. So, you know, in terms of that that finale uh, for season four, it was Man of Worth. Um, and I have to ask you before we get into our craft questions in season five, um, a lot of season five was set up in that final episode for season four, whether it was Murta or Jocasta, Roger and Bree reuniting, uh, setting up the conflict with the regulators and Jamie uh, and Governor Tryon. What I know this was a long time ago for you, but what is your memory of filming that episode? And do you have a moment that stood out to you where you, when you think of it, you're like, oh, I think of this one thing and I love that one particular thing? Um. It, it, it was a very, very um, sort of active episode from uh, from all areas of of the of the Outlander world. So it was a gift, really. It was a real gift. Um, we started up at the Mohawk Village. So uh, the previous two episodes just finished filming, and we carried on filming. So we did about four days up there, five days up there. Um, the second scene that we shot was um, the all of the sequence of the saying goodbye to Ian. That scene um, was just breathtaking in terms of performances, in terms of feel, in terms of a sense of company, in terms of seeing Claire and Jamie you know, in a very distressed state, the whole Roger story. Um, and that was on my, my second day. Um, so that was, that got my heart pumping. We did the arrivals, we did the goodbyes. Uh, and then, then ridiculously, we were going to the night shoots for the, for the sort of saving of Roger, the attack on the village. And mm-hmm. um, we, we were filming over Midsummer's Night in Scotland, 21st of June. So in Scotland, so far north, that time of year, um, it goes dark at quarter past 11 and gets light at quarter past three. So I had three nights to get, the, to get them in, rescue, and then get them captured, which is very difficult in, in sort of seven hours, eight hours of filming. And the first night, it absolutely tipped down with rain. Um, <laughs> But in terms of in terms of a company and, and in terms of um, rehearsing a fight and getting through it and uh, the art involved in nighttime lighting, that that was a that was a great thing. I, Go on. Uh, no, what I remember from that particular episode was the the frantic charge, and uh, with within uh, the camp and trying to find Roger and you know figuring out where he was. I remember. Um, did did you have any trouble with the geography of trying to shoot all that? How complex was that? Um, it was. Um, we walked it and we we designed a route. 
Um, and we, we said the first night they're going to get to the first hut. They're going to get him out. They're going to um, – they, and then they'll move off from there once, once the alarm has been sent. The second night was from A to B, uh, the big fire, and the third night was from the big fire to the, the place of arrest. Um, so uh, the chaos on it was in the camera work. Um, they were pretty much running in straight lines, but the chaos of it was handheld, very frenetic camera work, um, people jumping at them just from the darkness. Um, so it was, a, it was a pretty straight story in terms of geography, but in terms of action, it was quite complicated and, and quite dynamic and involved quite a lot of people. Um, the when we finished in the um, the Mohawk village, um, after having done um, uh, young Ian's uh, acceptance into the tribe, uh, and that th that running of the gauntlet uh, again was something that just broke my heart and and you know i was just jumping up and down my monitor it was mm -hmm. just so special and his reactions when he gets through it and that smile and that scruffy hair and that that sense of going on another adventure was just beautiful performance it was real feelings okay. and and you just have to you have to encourage that and and find that energy and, and make sure that he knows when the important bits are. And he, he's got a great sense of timing, but you know, everybody around the monitor just stopped and went, wow, what a moment. Mm -hmm. um, so, so we left the North of Scotland or Pitlochry where we were filming that. We left that knowing that we had, you know, some of the foundations of that story uh, very, very well in place. And, you know, the, the, the goodbye to Ian was one of my favourite, favourite scenes um, that, that we did. But having that in the locker, uh, we then moved south and um, we did two and a half days of the argument between Jamie, Claire and Roger in, that, in, that, in their camp, in their, in their bowl, and that, that's near Glasgow. And again, that was a real... Um, lesson in 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 performance and and getting the camera in the right place and um, you know trying to you know, one of the things that you have to do is try and find the emotional relationship between what the camera's doing and what the actors are doing and mm -hmm. giving them space but also telling the audience moments of interest and 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 focusing and highlighting and crescendoing on 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 the right sort of thing and 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 it was a it was a dance it was a two and a half day dance it was a big big sequence and they were knocking each other and fighting and uh lots of really interesting sort of dynamics between them uh, and it was a a new level for those three because there was real friction um and, and they were inspired by it as well, I think. And I think it came across really, really strongly. Um, uh, so, yeah, I mean, 413 has, has many, uh, many things that I, I really enjoy doing. I, I love doing Ottertooth's story in, 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 in flashback as well. And we, um, we did lots of slow-mo and 
Um, we were just grabbing moments wherever we were, we were in the right location, just exploring him in big close-ups and by the fire dancing and and the chase and the beheading at the end. Um, so, yeah, it's inspiring stuff. And then, then we get to River Run. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and that, that River Run day was, you know, was – was special um, and asking Sophie to run towards that little figure on the horse <laughs> and she just legged it so quickly um, and and that embrace and that coming together again of Roger and Brianna is a is a, is a lovely moment um, um, and just getting the horses of the redcoats going through at the end and the end of the series being sort of peaked in a in a question in a in a bit of a bit of a riddle and a bit of a you know laying our cards on the table saying well something's going to happen next season mm-hmm. um, but yeah four thirteen was was a, a joy it all happened very quickly I, that was all in eleven to twelve days of filming so I had literally just dipped my toe in the Outlander world and and I was um, I was hungry for more, and um, Matt Roberts, uh, you know, came to see me towards the end of that session and said, "Do you want to do some more?" <laughs> <laughs> and I said, "Yes, please." Um, so it, it, it worked out. It worked out nicely. Um, but but yeah, four thirteen has got a huge um, range of um, uh, character and emotional beats in there, and. Um, it's uh, lots to love. I love the I love the dinner table scene at River Run. Yes, yes, <laughs> so good. <laughs> but just the silence and, and the acceptance of Brianna coming back and thinking Roger's not going to come back. I love I love uh, Murta, uh, you know, arriving back mm-hmm. um, and just scuffing his food uh, <laughs> uh, with with Jocasta. I love I love. Jocasta and Murta being together and arguing. I love the the, the whiskey. Um, um, it was a it was a strong episode. Uh, I thought I know, and I only knew the the sort of passion of the uh, of the fandom and and questions about whether Jamie should have been at the birth and everything. I didn't know any of that mm-hmm. during. You know, they kept me away from that. They'd made a choice, and that choice was on the page, and uh, and we shot what, what was on the page. Um, and I know there were some questions afterwards, but um, you know, the the film and the books um, evolve slightly differently, and yeah. but they exist beautifully together. That's one of our our chief commandments when we talk on Outlander cast is that the book and the show are two different things, and they need to be viewed that way. That yes, they have obviously strong commonalities thanks to the storyline but to look at them in their own things so you're actually one of the few directors that has had a job between two different seasons does that mean that they really like your vision for the show um i think um it's difficult to say um <laughs> uh, what they what they like about me i think they 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 uh, like the atmosphere on set they like the performances uh i think the cast always have a uh, 
a sense of what a director's doing and how the director's getting getting through the days and and the type of performances that are, that are there and what the camera's doing is also very important so yes they must like what what i've been doing um um but it's um you know it's a wonderful place to work mm. it, and I'll, I'll say that about five or six times today. It's a, it's a very inspiring place to work with a lot of inspiring people. Well, yeah, obviously, we love your work here, too. And one of the things that actually is special to our heart is Harry Potter. And you have worked quite a bit, my friend, on the Harry Potter series uh, and as the, as the second unit director. Uh, and you've had, a, from, from what I can see, a, a pretty good relationship with the director of the, uh, those films, David Yates, since you worked together in State of Play uh, as the miniseries back in the early aughts. Um, what have you taken from David Yates to apply to your directing? And did the, the scope of Potter and the Fantastic Beast series give you any advantage in working with a, a huge cast like Outlander? Yes. Uh, I mean, my, my relationship with David Yates uh, was born on, on State of Play, the TV series. And um, uh, I was it was one of the last jobs I did as a first assistant director. And um, he was always uh, encouraging me to go into directing, and and I did very shortly after that. Um, what I learned uh, was um, about the importance of rehearsal, the importance of um, close communication with the cast, the importance of encouraging finding a finding a way of creating an atmosphere where people want to take risks where there's no embarrassment there's no people feel like they can jump off the cliff that 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 can be acting sometimes um but also the the nuances of of the very close relationship between the camera and acting and um just little tiny, little tiny moves, little tiny accentuations. Um, but it, it's mainly about the, the the sort of human aspect of it. He's he, he's a he's a wonderful human being who who I think gets amazing performances out of people, and uh, I, I think some of that's rubbed off on me. I, I hope some of that's rubbed off on me. And and it, it's yeah, it's about you know, knowing how lucky we are to do what we do and and enjoying that uh, place of work um, and knowing that it's a privilege what we're doing and and being excited by what you do. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I, I can't tell you the, the, the sort of the goosebumps that, that come up on the back, the back of my neck and the, the hairs on the back of my neck and my, my body changes and I start smiling at the monitors and I start <laughs> saying the actor's words and I, and I um, you know, and day after day on Outlander, there are very special performances. And, you know, that, that goodbye to Ian scene in, mm. in 4.13, you know, on my day two will stay with me for a long time. You know, mm-hmm. suddenly Sam's dropping tears and... <laughs> <laughs> And then John comes forward, and then Katrina comes forward, and then Roger's down there, and mm-hmm. uh, and it was it was great sort of synergy. Yes. 
you know, for those who aren't completely aware of all the different jobs that you've had as first assistant director or the first AD uh, or the, the second unit director or, or being a director um, or even being a director for television, can you just give us a brief rundown of, of the differences of all these different jobs and what each one, you know, as how they a, di- how they're a very basic, yes. a very basic <laughs> explanation of how they're different? Okay, so um, the first assistant director is is in charge of the set. They they are the person who uh, run the day to day running of the set live on the coalface with the cast. They are they they put everything in place to create the director's vision, and they've worked in pre production very closely with the director uh, for a long time uh, in terms of scheduling, recceing researching, putting all the departments together, running the, the pre-production diary. So every day on Outlander, my first assistant director will have a, a lineup of meetings uh, and a lineup of events that, that we attend as a team. And, and we have costume meetings and makeup meetings and we go out on a recce up the mountains after lunch and then we come back and then we have a special effects meeting and then we, the next morning we'll have a stuntman uh, doing a hanging test or um, a blood test or a squib test for, for murder. Um, so every day is packed full and, and they they manage that in pre-production and then they manage the floor in 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 shooting time um, and they're in charge of the schedule. Um, so you work very, very closely and they, um, they are the, the foreman of the, of the floor of the set. Um, they have a second assistant director. The second assistant director works offset. Some, sometimes they will, they, you have a second AD on set as well, but the key second assistant works Back in the trailer park, back in the the unit base, they're in charge of setting everything up ahead of time. In charge of all the TLC and the care of the supporting artists and the cast. They get the cast through costume and makeup into the transport and then onto the set, and they receive them, get them back into their series, and send them home at night. Very very skilled um, job to do well uh, because one of the things that I want is all my cast to arrive with a big smile on their face. Mm -hmm. If they've had a bust up back there or breakfast wasn't good or they were late or whatever, that second AD has got to get them in the mood to just send them onto set and send them to me in a good space. Uh, Then there's a third AD, uh, which is the first assistant's primary assistant on set and the third AD is in charge of all the PAs and all the PAs are all runners who um, charge around the set and doing absolutely everything for the production department. Um, The second unit director um, can um, be described as um, various, you know, a director in their own right. Um, Sometimes they specialize in action Sometimes they specialize in uh, um, more visual effects work. Um, Sometimes they specialize in more dramatic work. Um, uh, And I I have a bit of all of those things in me. Um, 
Um, second unit directors are used across the board now in film and television. Um, uh, on the last two Harry Potters, um, I was on board for two years. Um, so I was, yeah, I was basically, I think my unit shot, uh, over 300 days for the last two films. Um, uh, and that's a constant unit of 120, 130 people. It's, it's, you know, it's as big or bigger than an Outlander crew, the second unit. Um, on Outlander, we had, uh, this current season, we had Adrian McDowell, um, who uh, was there for the latter part of the, of the season. So by the time you're getting to um, episodes five and six, you probably know some things that need to be picked up or some particular action beats. Um, and so they activate a second unit and he ran almost concurrently towards to the end. Um, but the second unit can, you know, on on Fantastic Beasts or Harry Potter, I, I have four roles. I I tidy up what the main unit don't get in their schedule. I do my own sequences. I do a lot of the stunt work or the green screen work or the rig work, and I um, and then I do a lot of the travelling. Um, there's a lovely lovely story on. Uh, on the third Harry Potter, the, um, the Prisoner of Azkaban, uh, Alfonso Coran went up to Scotland with the main unit for three weeks of shooting, and they built the wooden bridge halfway up a mountain with helicopters and everything, and they were still there after about nine weeks mm-hmm. um, with, with, with weather, basically, with weather. So after that, uh, we did most of the Scottish work. Uh, and all the all the Hogwarts Express and mm-hmm. all of that stuff. Nice, and of course, as director on Outlander, um, you know you have to wear many hats on the job. So, what do you feel like was the most important responsibility in that role? Um, without doubt, it's it's um, performance, uh, and it's the truth of those performances. Um, um, but at the same time, you've got to complete the days to survive, uh, and it, this is a this is a strong industry. And and if if you don't complete the schedule, um, questions are asked about you. So you have to have a plan. You have to be organised. And may, maybe it's having an organised hat that 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 is both looking at the way you're going to shoot it, how you're going to shoot it, and the t- and, and the time you need to shoot it mm-hmm. and then have a plan B that, um, that you know you can implement and still get the day done. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's big old days. I mean, our first day on episode seven, for the ballad of Roger Mack, for instance, first day in the camp was uh, Reverend Caldwell arriving and being sent back again. Jamie getting the red coat, and then Jamie saying goodbye to to Claire mm-hmm. with everybody marching off. Mm-hmm. That's sort of almost six pages of work. Yeah. Yep. Uh, with a hundred and twenty extras <laughs> and horses, um, uh, and that's you've got to get it done. Mm-hmm. 
That shot, by the way, with Jamie getting the red coat. Oh, oh man. That... well done, well done, my friend. <laughs> it, was a, it was a it was a moment that you could you could feel everybody going. Yeah. This is going to be good. Yep. <laughs> this is going to be good. And 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 to be fair to Sam, he did he did a lovely he did a he did a lovely thing um, in that he. He went to Tricia and he had the fittings in costume and everything. And I saw fitting photographs and everything. But he deliberately sort of waited to the last moment before it came on. And just for all of his his acting team and Tim Downey and everything else. And it it was a palpable moment where the, the air changed and it was like... Oh, this is the story we're telling. This is yes. going to be really fun. Yes. <laughs> that, that is definitely, I think, the moment for me that I absolutely think of when I, when I think of season five. I mean, mm. there are some others, too, uh, in particular, when, you know, Jamie says, kill them all. I, I just, I find that to be, oh, man, just, it's, it, like you said earlier, it just sends shivers up your spine mm-hmm. when you think about it. Um, is, that, I, is that your favorite scene you directed in season five, or do you have another? Um, that's up there without a doubt. Um, I, I, I like him giving the red coat back as well. I, I, I think this, uh, uh, for me that, that, that made me, um, uh, yeah, it made me quite emotional actually. It made me, um, uh, thinking of because we hadn't done all the murder stuff, mm-hmm. so this is a, an example of Sam's skills. You know, we had to we had to process, we had to talk through. Okay, we put the red coat on, and now we've taken the red coat off. But in between, I have to tell him what's happening, what's he going to look like, what's he going to feel like, uh, and give and give him the right pitch for him to come out of that tent. Go back to try on, and and that that's a, that's a skill of a director when you're when you're shooting out of order, and um, on on such high sort of emotional stakes, mm-hmm. um, and that's all about communication and uh, and you know the first, I didn't need to do many takes on that. Um, it was you know a couple of a couple of takes on on each lenses, and uh, I, I was bowled over and. And and Tim, you know Tim Downey doing his thing, and it was a real crunch moment. Um, there's a really interesting craft thing about that. I don't know if I'm talking out of order from. Oh, you're fine. The, um, so, uh, Stein van der Vecken, the the DOP, who did a beautiful job on the, the on all of those, uh, you know, episodes seven and eight, and episodes eleven and twelve, and uh, episodes two, uh, three, and four. Um, what you don't see when Sam is coming out and 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 going back to Triumph is that there's a there's a, a whole wall of of black silks. Um, so what he's doing there is he's creating extra contrast in the face, mm. and, he's, and he's just he's just putting a a little half shadow across one side of of Sam and. Uh, of Jamie and, and Tryon's face, and it takes an awful lot of work. They're huge, great things, <laughs> uh, and it, and it restricts the way that you film it. But you agree on it, 
But it's little tiny things like that, that little bit of extra contrast, that little bit of darkness that subliminally, subconsciously tells us something as human beings saying he's in a dark spot here. And it's really subtle and really clever, but it's really important. Mm -hmm. And uh, those are the sort of things you have to fight for. And, the, and when the DOP goes, I really need to do this, and it's going to take a bit more time, and it's going to be hard work, um, <laughs> but we need to do it. <laughs> that, that's why you do it. That's yes. <laughs> Is there anything that you shot that you had to fight for to get into the finished product? Um, well... <sighs> You fight. You, you you fight every you fight every day. I, I mean, um, the, the 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 battleground sequence was um, was just a a really good example of fighting for my life because the clock was against me. Mm -hmm. um, I'll tell you a, a long story about it. So uh, we. On the recce, we get to the the village, the, the tented village. We get to the camp, and uh, we've always thought oh, at the end of the end of the tent tented village, at the end of that field, that's where the regulators would come out, and the tents would be miles back there. Yeah. We on the recce, wonderful John Gary Steele has marked out the tents, and there's more tents, and they take up more space. Uh, than we can ever believe. It's fantastic. Yeah. But what it does, what it means that I looked at uh, Tony Graffia to go, oh, this is a bit bigger than we thought, which is great. And I was thinking of having the regulators coming out of those trees over there, which is far too close. Mm -hmm. And we looked at each other going, this isn't going to work. So I had a plan B, which was a field half a mile away. Mm-hmm. Which means that I, on the shooting day, I had to shoot in the camp and then move everything half a mile, <laughs> and that's everything, all the kits. Um, so we got to the the battleground scene, and I've got four and a half hours left. Um, but we've all talked about it, and we've got 130 people. We've got all those horses. We've got trial coming in and saying fire now um and uh it was just the most dynamic sort of four and a half hours that we we could pos possibly wish for we knew that the crane would be there we'd get the wide shot then we'd go into jamie's speech to his boys and we'll go to try on arriving and his speech and then we'd have to fire and run and then fire again and run and reload. Every time you reload 40, 40 uh, muskets, it takes Forever. maybe 25 minutes. Oh. So, but somehow in four and a half hours, we did 54 shots on three cameras. Wow. Um, and it was, it was real proper boys bonding going on that day. Yeah. <laughs> Well done. So, so not only do you have to manage it with all of this and having some having some good boy time, let's let's just call it that. Um, something that also happens at the end of that episode uh, is the conflict between, uh, well, not conflict, but the death scene with uh, oh. with ja uh, with Murta and 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 Jamie being a part of it, and then uh, Jamie coming back and trying to get him revived with Claire. 
I guess my question is, you got a chance to help brew that impending fight between Jamie and Murta in season four, which was excellent. And you also were given the opportunity to lay it to rest in the Ballad of Roger Mack. How did you handle as a director this heightened emotionality of, of the whole thing, in addition to doing everything that you just talked about, uh, especially uh, when it comes to Duncan Lacroix's like, final real episode? I mean, that, that must have been really tough. Mm. It, it, it was it was tough. Um, I think one of the reasons why um, I was offered episodes seven and eight was because I did episodes one and two, um, and so the 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 start of that whole sequence is back in episode one, and the end of episode one is is Myrta and Jamie in the forest. And again, uh, that was a scene they were both really nervous about. Um, uh, and, and it was towards the end of the, the first block of shooting of episodes one and two. Um, and we prayed for sunshine and we prayed for sunshine. And in the morning, we had done uh, Jamie and Knox on the horses, big, long conversation in episode two. And then we had to drive a couple of miles near, near the big house. And um, I had this perfect spot in the woods. Uh, if it was sunny, you could see the river, it was going to be backlit. And I just, all morning I was doing a little rain dance and stay away rain. And suddenly the weather got better. And I looked at Sam as we broke for lunch. I said, Sam, it's going to be sunny. It's going to be sunny. And, and he laughed. Um, and and then Duncan came on to set. And, and they just sort of very quietly um, found the space and... And it was the most beautiful scene. Uh, again, we had to work very quickly because of the sun and the light and the, the clock. Um, but it, they absolutely nailed it. And, and, and that informed so much of um, what goes on throughout the series, I think, um, that, you know, in the script, that wasn't the end of episode one. Um, and the end of episode one happened in a, in a different way, and, and uh, Matt um, fought for that being the end of the episode. Um, he he wrote the episode, and and uh, uh, that was that, that was nice of him to to um, endorse that scene so much. And and you know, I think he's he had the same feeling that it informed so much of the 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 relationship and the the struggle within that relationship for the rest of the series. Yeah. So cut to episode seven. Um, and I was lucky enough to be able to rehearse in the rehearsal room, uh, the, the on-site shooting and the, the, the fall of murder. Um, and that was a, a beautiful moment where, there was something about Sam feeling like Murta was going to fall into his arms, and and I just wanted the ability to have a really strong look with Jamie having holding Sam, so uh, Jamie holding Murta, and so we developed this little dance, and 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 they. They they found this dance and I said, "Can I have a little stop here and a little stop there?" and and then they twisted and I explained to them about this big tree and then they they went down and and then it just got more emotional from there. Mm -hmm. 
Um, uh, so, so it was a, it was a good rehearsal process, and and they, you know, they were very happy with with the whole process about getting them down to the tree, and then it got very emotional, um, and uh, and we had some wasps and we had lots of blood, um, <laughs> and and Duncan was an absolute trooper. You know, one of the things that we we talked about time and time again in regards to season five is that it just it seemed to have a very different visual feel to the season, whether it was the lighting, the texture, the scope. It just felt more cinematic. We, we said that word a lot on the podcast this season. Was there a difference or a directive from the showrunner to achieve this? Or are we just making this up in our own <laughs> minds? <laughs> um. There wasn't a there wasn't a directive uh, of anything specific. It was try and be as cinematic as possible, and and um, and Matt liked the style that I had used in four thirteen. I I tend to go very wide, and then eventually end up pretty close, mm-hmm. um, and. Um, sometimes closer than other people, um, uh, and when wigs and makeup allow, um, that's uh, that. I, I do like going in that close. I mean, when Jamie and Claire are dealing with Brianna pre-wedding, um, and when they're having that conversation, big borrowed and blue conversation as well, um, you'll see there's that size on on each of them. And then there's that size, and there's that size on on Sam and Katrina and and Sophie, uh, where you could just feel the the sort of emotion before the wedding, mm-hmm. which which was really important to get. And and they're they're very they're very good. They're you know they're very good at knowing that the camera is what the camera is doing and why it's doing it. You you mentioned uh, Matt Roberts a couple of times on uh, in this uh, in this chat we're having, and uh, I'm fascinated by the relationship uh, between showrunner and director. I feel like in 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 a in a film, the director is is the guy or or the gal, like that. What they say goes. But I think in television, the sense that I get is that you kind of have to be pretty deferential to whatever the showrunner, like Matt, or if Tony had if Tony Graffia had written the episode, you have to be pretty deferential to them. Is that something that you struggle with, or is that am I just making that up as yeah, well? What's the dynamic yeah. like? Oh no, it, it's it is the central relationship um, in the, in the show, and it's a very very important one. And uh, you have to get it right. Um, and my mantra is: you have to make all relationships work. You have to make those work. But ultimately, the showrunner calls the shots in terms of um, how it's eventually going to look um so you have to you have to know what your place is in the whole sort of machine so outlander is um directing outlander is being an author but it's being part of a relay race of uh, of authorship you start with diana you start with the books Mm -hmm. you then go into the writer's room with the showrunner you then Come, you then get the script, and then then you work in pre-production with the actors, 
um, and you relay that to the showrunner, you're also working with the writer-producer who they put on set with you. So throughout throughout the shooting of Outlander, there's one person next to you from the writer's room, whether it's the person who's written the script or it's uh, one, one of the team. Um, um, and they will be fighting Matt's corner um, if they need to fight it. Um, and then you're at the coalface, you're filming, you're still an author and you're working with the cast um, and, you know, they have authorship uh, as well. And then you, you do a director's cut uh, and that director's cut, you, you try and show all of your intentions. Um, and, you know, if I didn't think I could express myself as a director in a, in an arena like Outlander, I, w- I wouldn't be doing it. But, you know, we're, we're blessed by having Matt Roberts who has directed an episode. You know, that's a, that's a key positive. He can see things from both sides of the fence and he will encourage you as a director to push it and he'll also know when you're, when you're asking for things, he'll know when that's a reasonable request and when it's an unfeasible request. Um, and, and I thought his episode was fantastic at the end of episode three, a wonderful episode. Um, so having, having that experience is, is, is key to, you know, opening lots of doors correctly, I think. And he, he knows how, how, how a set, set works and he, he shoots a lot of uh, splinter unit scenes as well. Um, so, so, you know, what Outlander does allow you to do is explore, um, experiment, um, and try things out. And, you know, we, in episode eight, we, we've got the black and white silent movie thing, which is, which is a way of experimenting with form, you know, in episode one at the wedding, um, and this is Matt's episode, that he wrote, um, one of the things we did was we shot the wedding in slow motion as well. We shot all the vows in slow motion. And it was in the script uh, that suddenly we're with Jamie and his world just shuts off and he just takes it all in and everything just goes to slow-mo for a little while. <laughs> and he's just, in, he's just going, wow, the big house, daughter, <laughs> family and everything. Um, and we did a cut like that, um, and and it actually slowed momentum down. And Sam's performance, you just get him looking, he, he does that look around, and he plays in real time, and you just know that he's just taking it all in. And then we can move on to, to the... Um, to the rest of the ceremony, um, but that's why Richard Rankin says, "Yeah, I did the uh, I did the line seven hundred and thirteen times. I got married seven hundred and thirteen times today. I've seen that. I've seen that Rankin. I've seen that. <laughs> I, feel, I feel like one of the things that Jamie's also looking at too in that slow mo idea of it all is how much is this going to cost yes. me? <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's obviously so much anticipation in season five, including the wedding and the gathering. Um, but one scene that really seemed to sneak up on us was the crescendo of Jamie retrieving his kilt and putting it on for the first time in forever, especially for those of us who, you know, have been longing for the 
kilt, it has seemed like forever. So what were the conversations about the scene like? And did the final edit meet your expectations of what you shot? A big moment. Um, a big moment. And whew, I, I've, got to, I've got to tell secrets here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, give, spill all the tea. Let's go. <laughs> Forcing me into a corner here. Um, uh, so... In the script, um, in the script was um, the the way in which Jamie goes to his box and he finds it, and uh, it's a beautiful moment. And we talked about strong backlight and just the sense of touch, and you know, lots of sort of very human experience of going into that thing that you haven't been in for 20 years yep. um, and we were able to do that on set beautifully uh, and then we were going to do a big reveal of him outside of the fire fiery cross in the kilt that was the cut and then uh, Matt had a great idea of going no nah, Claire's got to see this first. Claire's got to see this first. Claire and the audience have got to see this first. Um, so, you know, it, it snuck up on us as well because it was a bit of a surprise. So it was it was a it was a, a slightly re-engineered part of the script, and it wasn't on day one of filming. It wasn't there, but later on it was. Um, and yeah, it's just using that corridor. And using that little bit of surprise of Claire, Claire being us, Claire being us, and going, "Whoa, <laughs> what I just seen." Um, and uh, it's, you know, we had sh already shot the fiery cross scene uh, before uh, we shot that scene, so it was the characters were well informed uh, in terms of, you know, how special that fiery cross scene was um, and how important it was. Um, but it's, it's, uh, I, I love the looks between them. And I, um, but, but also, you know, Katrina plays it so beautifully. And so there's, there's, there's a little bit of fear in there as well. There's a little bit of concern. It's like, this is, this is a big, I understand this is a big moment, but there's something else, isn't there? And she plays that again at the fiery cross. Um, so, yeah, it was a bit a big moment, a, a fan favorite, I think. Agreed. So, Agreed. So when you were putting your director's cut together for the um, for for the premiere and all of this stuff together, uh, I can imagine that you probably looked at it and said it, it was even bigger in the director's cut in, in terms of emotionality for you. Um, but one of the things that you actually talked about on the Outcasts podcast, by the way, guys, listeners, uh, if you're watching or listening to this. Uh, go to the Outcast podcast and listen. Check to, that episode to, out to, yes. to Stephen's episode with uh, with those guys. It's it's excellent. They did a great job breaking down a, a scene at the wedding, the the drinking scene, which I, which was excellent. <laughs> I, I just I found that remarkable. Uh, since it's our since it already is there for posterity, we're not going to talk about it here. But one of the things you did mention in that podcast that also fascinates me is the difference between the American model and the English model of television and the amount of time that you get on post-production to put your director's cut together. Can you illuminate that for us, for those people who have no idea what you're talking about? Um, yeah. So the, the American model is, is a showrunner led model. 
Um, the director is brought on with five weeks to go. Uh, you have five weeks of pre-production where the director is involved in everything from, from script to location choices to design to concepts to schedule. Um, then you have uh, on Outlander, you're given about 12 and a half days per hour to shoot uh, an episode. So um, you, you're given a 25-day schedule for two, two, two hours. And then... Then straight away, I have two five-day weeks where I have to I have to deliver a director's cut to Matt, um, and and then I'm off I'm off I'm off off the job, uh, and I will never see the episode again unless he wants to show me something or unless a visual effect comes in and they want my advice. But contractually, I will never see that episode again until it's broadcast. Wow. Um, is that diffi- it, is that difficult for you, like to to put this whole baby together and just and then let it into the world and say, "Go forth, young man." Like, what's that like? It it is difficult because in five days, you're that's not enough time to to sculpt and craft something. You have to give an idea of your intentions. Um, you um, you know you don't have to get it down to time. You can, but you can hint at what you want it to feel like, what you want it to sound like, those important scenes you want to get those right, and uh, you know all the key beats you want to you want to get as in as good a shape as possible. Uh, and it is difficult saying goodbye to it. It is uh, it's hard, especially if you feel like you haven't quite finished it. But that's that's the gig. That's the gig, yep. and and you you have to be on board with that. The the European model or the the English model um, is there's still perhaps a showrunner or an executive producer, but when you you do the pre-production, same sort of amount of time you do the shooting, but when you get to post-production, you are engaged for maybe twelve weeks out of sixteen. And you um, you are there throughout the director's cut. You then work with the producer to do the producer's cut. You then work with the network to do the network notes or the network cut. And then then you're you're so you're involved with the music. You spot the music. You spot the effects. You do the ADR with the actors coming back in. Um, but it can take an awful long time. It can take another four months. Um, so the advantage of the American model is that you can skip off and go and do another project, or or you can you can you can stay around in the UK and um, and work in more post production. But um, the UK is changing as well. That you know any American show that comes over here will be uh, showrunner led, and the directors will be spending less time in the post production. So where do you watch the episodes when you finally get to see your work? You know, where what's that environment like? Are you watching it with loved ones? Are you, you know, saying, oh, yes, oh, good. I'm glad that's there. What's it like for you? <laughs> I, I watch it on my own late uh, first uh, with headphones. And um, uh, it, was a, it was a good experience. I mean, um, episode one... Uh, the wedding, you know, was a crowd pleaser, and and tonally that had some big shifts 
that that um, developed through post-production. Um, I talked to Matt and during the shooting of it, there were so many opportunities for little fun moments. He wrote lots of little tiny scenes with with sort of non-specific supporting casting. And, and I said, if I can get cast to do those things, let's do it. He said, off you go, do it. I said, I can feel that the, the structure of this is going to change. Um, and he said, yeah, it may, it may do, it may do. Uh, and then the next morning he, he wrote um, – uh, he wrote that little scene of Marcelie yes. uh, yeah. saying, saying I'm pregnant just on the, on the dance floor. Um, so he gave me one of those. And then we got the lovely scene of, uh, of, uh, Lord John and, um, and, and, uh, John Quincy Miles, um, just falling asleep or falling over drunk and a little, and then the, the, the kiss on the dance floor and, um, I'm forgetting names now, but the bugs kissing on the dance floor uh, and uh, all little moments of texture like that, all of those things uh, gave the opportunity in the edit to to restructure the wedding night. Um, and it became a it became a a gentler script than it was because there was a there was a darkness to uh, the Brianna and Rogers scene mm. that um, was really, really strong and really dark and beautifully performed. But we went the the sort of celebration route in terms of the cut, and and I delivered a director's cut with hints of that, and then the producer's cut, the showrunner's cut, went crazy with with the intercutting of the drinking game and the dancing and the Claire and Jamie and uh, Jocasta and Myrta and, and and Brianna and Roger and, and and I think it's a wonderful wedding night it, 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 you know we're, we're very proud of it Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like definitely allowing the wedding to to stand out and then allowing the gathering to stand out. I think adding I think the right choice was made by cutting what from what you're saying the stuff with Bree because I that would have been a lot for that one episode of television. Yeah, and and it, you know, we she heard the information she needed to and she was in a position in the bedroom and it was Roger who sort of brings her out of it. And, and I think they, they got the balance right. I, I really do. Mm. Really yeah. Do. Speak, speaking of, uh, of Roger, um, you, you, you directed, uh, famous last words. Um, and there, there's, there's not a lot that I can say that hasn't been said about that episode. Um, I, I just felt like that was a game changer. <laughs> for Outlander. Uh, we also did a podcast for The Leftovers and there was an episode of The Leftovers called International Assassin that just totally changed the fabric of that show. Um, and I feel like Famous Last Words did that for Outlander uh, because it was a huge gamble in, in terms of taking a risk and the creativity for it, uh, the stylization of it. Did you have to do anything differently in terms of your directing for that episode to s- supplement that stylization? And was there a sense that this was going to be special because of that storytelling device when you were on set? Um, it, 
developed in in pre-production in, in a way that suddenly we you know everybody was so consumed with episode seven and how big that was um that it sort of crept up on us how 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 detailed and how emotional and how important it was and the reason why i did that was because the schedule was remarkable in that we almost shot all of episode seven first and then we went on to episode eight which is sort of un unheard of um so the characters and the cast and the crew were informed of what had gone before and the struggles and the drama of episode seven. Um, and episode eight, you know, suddenly we realized that we had this wonderful thing that we tested. We, we did a series of tests to find the silent movie language. And we found the right frame rate, which we then, we also cut other frames out. And um, we found the right uh, sort of grading of it, and we found the right aspect ratio of it. Um, and we, we sent all these tests to Matt, and they talked to Sony, and uh, we were allowed to have a different aspect ratio, which is fairly, you know, brave of, uh, of everybody. Um, we talked to Richard about, um, you know, getting inside his head and, uh, and it'll be pretty uncomfortable. Um, and we've got this very special lens called a T-Rex lens that we could put right right on his eye. Yeah. Um, and he was absolutely, absolutely up for it. Um, uh, and we didn't do that until the very, we didn't do the big close-ups on his eyes and face until the very end. But um, uh, we obviously did all the, um, the hanging stuff uh, out there on location. Um, where possible, um, when we knew that we were doing a silent movie take, we sometimes asked the cast to be a little bit bigger in their movements, uh, which seemed to be a thing in terms of the, the movies that we watch for research. Um, um, and so there was some quite big acting sometimes <laughs> but, but but by the time you've changed the frame rate and everything else it sort of comes down but it just it gives it that sort of silent movie feel um that was that was the biggest thing really and then and then not moving the camera um it's all about keeping very still frames uh, the camera does move occasionally and and maybe some shots were nicked when they when they shouldn't have been but but mainly it's very locked off frames uh, and I, I was I was thrilled by it you know dr. Daniel Barrow um, wrote it and and uh, and it was there from the start and and I thought it was a really brave thing of the show and it was a it was a gift a dramatic gift and I think it helps the episode uh, I you know before I was before I came onto this call I was just having a little look at episode eight and there were some extreme moments of silence and those moments, you know, are just allowing you to appreciate what Roger's been through and making some sort of connection. And it's the quietest outland has ever been, I think, you know, for long periods. Um, and I think we should all be proud of it. It's, 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 it's strong. It's not that I look at ratings or anything, mm. but, but on IMDb, that episode has a lower rating than than any others and i'm sure if if the 
the Outlander fans voted for it, it would be higher. Um, <laughs> but but it, 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 it's, I think it's a really strong episode. I think Sophie and Richard's big scenes are so powerful. Richard's performance throughout is so powerful. Sophie's singing and, uh, and you know, their, their connection is, is, is a really great um, example of their, of their craft. Mm-hmm. You, 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 took, you took some big risks in that <laughs> yes. episode. And I, for one, I, I know I can speak for Mary, we were, we were big on that mm, risk. Yes. Uh, we, we were big on all, all the risks that I think that Outlander took uh, mm-hmm. This season, when it, or if it was like uh, the, the the episode uh, where they go to the uh, the cabin, and it felt like X Files almost, yes. and it was like, oh my god, you know what? It just felt really cool how all these risks. And since you were involved in the early pre production meetings for the entire season and going through and the tone meetings, was, was there a sense that they knew they were going to be taking big swings this season to make a statement? Yeah. Um, I, th- I think there was a uh, an ambition there that that was uh, was well energized, um, and yeah, I, I think they you know the the whole black and white thing, the whole slow motion thing, um, the the encouragement of uh, of being brave like that. Mm-hmm. Um, was there from the start and, and fair play to, to Matt for encouraging that. Um, I, I remember having a pizza with Jamie Payne very early on when just when just after he'd started and we had a pizza, he said, I've got an episode, which is just <laughs> the two of them. <laughs> and uh, he said, it's going to be really, really interesting. And he did an amazing job on that. Amazing. <laughs> you have a, a funny story from set that you haven't told anyone yet that you can, you could think of or something that happened where you just, you lost it and you get laughing. Um, lots, um, lots from farting horses to, um, <laughs> uh, I, I, mean, I love the, um, uh, I love doing the episode seven, uh, happy birthday scene to Sam. A happy birthday scene to Jamie. So. Um, and and that was just that was funny uh, because uh, for scheduling purposes, we would normally do that scene in the tent in the studio. Nudity, warmth, comfort, everything else. For scheduling purposes. We are doing it in a tent, in a field. <laughs> so we're doing it for real. It's sort of it was in a field uh, near near the, the near Brianna Rogers' cabin, and it was charming and it was lovely and it was sweet and we talked about it before and uh, just Katrina just in pre-production she just sent an email. During rehearsal, she just said, I'm going to unwrap myself like a present. (laughs) Just gorgeous. And then what happened on the day was in in rehearsal, she started singing Happy Birthday. (laughs) And this is not in the script. Mm -hmm. Not in the script. And then I turn to Tony and Tony's eyes goes, 
and and I'm going, yeah, isn't it great? She's singing Happy Birthday. Um, so literally, by the time they're finishing the rehearsal, Tony has rung Sony lawyers saying, "Is it okay to sing Happy Birthday?" It is. <laughs> it, it is now. It wasn't two years ago. It is now. Oh. Yep. Um, and so yeah, that that was that was lovely. Um, episode seven, Sam in the water, beautiful, iconic scene. That man is a hero. Mm -hmm. He swore a lot because it was very, very, very cold. Oh, I bet. Uh, and, and it, you know, we did quite a few shots. We did big wides. We did big close-ups. We had to get the camera right close to the water. Uh, and after about two and a half hours in the water, he said, Stephen, you do realise how cold it is. I said, yes, I do. And uh, we, we, we hurried on. We hurried on. Um, but, uh, you know, those two are um, a dream to work with. And uh, they they encourage the the atmosphere on set as, as much as I do. It's, it's their place of work too. And, um, uh, you know, it, it was a joy working with them. Oh, I bet. Well, so here, of course, is the obvious question. Are you coming back for season six? Ha <laughs> uh, ha! No, ne never say no. Um, I, there's no, there's no talk at the moment. There's, there's, there's. COVID is definitely a problem, and um, I would jump at the chance to come back if everything mm -hmm. worked out. Um, I, I know that they may have a block one director, mm -hmm. um, and they're working uh, towards that. Um, but that's all I know. Uh, one actually other question that I have uh, for you before we let you go is there, a lot was made um, about uh, Sam and Katrina being executive producers on the show and having that produ uh, producerial role. Uh, is that something that you felt uh, that was palpable uh, in the show? And was it something that you, you, you spoke to them about the stuff that they were, what they would speak about in that kind of role? Um, I think it's an absolute perfect natural progression of, of them as people, them as actors, them as lead actors in a successful series, that they get given a, 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 a producing credit and they earn that big time. Um, you know, it, my experience of it is that um, my first meetings with them for 4.13 uh, I had a glass of wine with Katrina um, and a coffee with Sam um, and we talked script and they had amazing script notes and they were so informed about what's gone on before and they're, they're a constant, they're, you know, they're one of the only constants um, and that is so important and those script notes and their um, ability to... Um, uh, take in my requirements as well and and refine uh, and understand those requirements was was a was about what being a producer's about and and they would go into battle for me they would uh, i would go into battle for them or not battle there's no there's no battles at, at, at outlander there's there's conversations but you know when you're when you're fighting for a a scene to take a certain way, a certain direction in the writer's room. Um, you know, you need, you need help sometimes. Um, 
in series five, those script notes were still uh, always there, and they have a through line to the showrunner, and they have they have a very close relationship with with the process of script and 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 getting the scripts in in good shape. I mean, one of the things that the showrunner does well on this job um, is is the way that the scripts, you know, evolve during the run of the filming. Um, and that works to the, that works to the, the positives of what's going on on set. That works to what's working this year, how it's looking this year. If you had 12 scripts that were written in all before, it just doesn't work. And Matt is, is very good at, keeping those scripts alive and responding to what's working, who's performing uh, after the read throughs going, well, oh, she read through brilliantly. Let's put another scene with her in. Mm-hmm. Um, and Sam and Katrina are part of that process. Um, and then um, for the first time in series one, they were present at the production meetings. Um, and that was that was uh, an eye opener f- for them, and they realised, you know, I'm sure they knew already, but the amount of work that goes on behind the scenes, uh, logistically as well, mm-hmm. you know, when you're filming in such a a place as Scotland, um, there's so much off screen just to get you to the set. Um, it, it's really important, and and it costs a lot, and uh, and and they're very um, very much a part of, of that process now or, or being made aware of it. Um, but their script notes are really good and, and, and you know, everybody takes note of them. Well, that is it. You uh, survived uh, being here on OutlanderCast. Thank you so much yes. for taking the time to join us today. It was a pleasure. It was wonderful to relive uh, memories and and try and communicate those to you. Um, it feels like an awful long time ago, and I'm sorry it's going to be another eighteen months. Um, but I'm uh, thank you for being here. You helped me on the early part of my lockdown. I loved listening to the show, and I loved the passion and the support you give to the show. Um, and congratulations on the show, and I, I, I hope you don't edit me too much. <laughs> well, honestly, it is, it is very humbling hearing you say the kind words that you did. It, thank you. Yes. I, I, that's, that's a big deal to us. And if listeners want to continue to keep up with your work, where are they going to be able to see things that you're working on in the near future? Um, I've just, just finished um, a, a series for Netflix, um, called uh, Fate the Wink Saga, which is a, a live action um, series for young adults. It's fairies and magic and monsters. Love it. <laughs> filmed filmed in Dublin, filmed in Ireland, uh, straight after Outlander, I went off to Dublin. Um, and it's out in January and um, it's got a great car, young cast. Uh, Abigail Cowan, American actress, is the lead. And uh, it's fun and it's crazy. And and I had to do things like I had to have needle drops. <laughs> do, you know, do you know what a needle drop is? No. <laughs> needle drops are pop music, present pop music that, that, that the young kids are going to 
going to like. It's not aimed for the Outlander audience. I, <laughs> uh, it's sort of a 16, 15 to 24, really. Um, but it's it's fun and vibrant and lots of magic. Um, and then I start on Monday. I go up to Warner Brothers and we start filming Fantastic Beasts 3. And I'm the second unit director on that. And that'll take me through to January or February. Wow. Well, well, at some point, we may have to have you on our uh, Potterverse podcast as we are rereading the entire Potter book series and rewatching the movies and podcasting about it to get us through COVID times together. And, and, and Troutlander yeah. specifically. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, and I've got lots of, lots of nice memories and, and uh, stories about, um, about a wonderful time. I was there for five and a half years and... Uh, like Outlander, it's a, a, a place of great creativity and support, and it's a lovely company of people that still exist in the Fantastic Beast world as well. It's a great place to work. Well, thank you again so much for joining us. It was an absolute honor and pleasure to chat with you today. Thank you. Thank you. Stephen Wolfenden, everybody. Holy smokes. Give me a high five Woo, on that one. Oh, yeah. That one was really good. Ay, ay, ay. Man, that was My awesome. My brain is like exploding with more appreciation. Right. You know, you hear so many interviews with the main cast yep, and, yep. you know, producers, showrunners, but like to really get these other perspectives, an important perspective Absolutely. of how this all came to be, I love it. Yeah, this is one of those ones where, you know... I feel like the director, as we kind of talked about in the episode, mm. is not underappreciated, but just not as distinguished as Agreed. the showrunner or uh, not as distinguished, of course, as the actors or whatever. Like, they're just not as famous. And, yeah. and I mean, that is for a cabillion reasons. And I'm not saying that they shouldn't or shouldn't be. But, you know, having these conversations with a director like Stephen Wolfenden or mm -hmm. even like I mentioned earlier in the episode, Anna Forster, it just, like you said, gives a, a really special perspective and it gives insight into the nitty gritty of how an episode of television is made. Agreed. I mean, knowing like that one conversation that we had where he was uh, deciding where to shoot certain things and he had a, he had a, he realized that the, that, they, that the plan wasn't going to work. They yes. had to move everything over a yes. mile and a half to another field. And they were like, okay, so we let's get That's everybody it. up and round yep. them all up and head over. That's the kind of stuff that I, I love hearing. I, yes. I, I love that, that in-depth kind of thing, knowing what it's like to actually be on the set of a, in a daily mm -hmm. perspective from somebody Agreed. in Outlander or, or any show that I love in particular. Agreed. Totally agree. So I, I just... I loved that conversation. Yeah. That <laughs> was good stuff, man. Really good stuff. So here we are. We're still in the depths of Droughtlander. Yes. It feels like a swear to say. And it's not even still. In, uh, we're just beginning the depths. We're, we're like... We're like a quarter of the yeah. way down, not even. But what we do want to let you know is that the Outlander cast community, the clan, if you may, it's still going really strong. Yes. Um, we're having some amazing read-alongs happening in the Outlander cast clan book club. Blake is wrapping up uh, probably within the next month or so, The Midnight Sun. Yep book club and once he's done with that he's going to be moving on to reading for the first time Voyager correct so if you would like to join Blake's book club you can actually go to jointhenerdclan.com it was formerly known as formerly known as outlandercastclan.com Outlander so if you're already a member a patron of outlandercastclan.com you're 
you're still still in the clear. Just a little bit of a rebrand, if yeah, you will. A little yeah, little bit of a rebrand. Gotta zhuzh it up every once in a while. <laughs> but you will you'll be working on Voyager. Yeah, I'm very excited. And as I said, we have it. a lot of content coming through blog posts. Uh, speaking of blog posts. There's a blog post about this interview coming yes, up. Yes, yes. If you guys have been following Outlander cast for a while, you know that any interview that we do, we have this special segment that is just specifically for the website. It's the 10 personal questions. Uh, and we did, in fact, do that with uh, with Stephen. And uh, he had some great answers. He did. Yeah, we had some good conversation. Um, you know, little things like, you know, favorite food, worst mistake, biggest success. Little things. What's your biggest failure yeah. in life? <laughs> Tell us. Let it be known to everybody. <laughs> All the tens oh of us who are listening to this podcast. Yeah, I love how right you're now. like, oh, yeah, this is an easy one. Yeah. It's <laughs> your biggest mistake in life. Well, uh, regardless, it's just something along those lines where it's just the 10 personal questions that really have nothing to do with Outlander, but it gets you to know the person yeah. even more. It's so, fun. and, and, uh, so when will that be available? Um, I Sometime believe in the very near future. Just keep your eyes peeled on yeah. the Outlander cast social media. Yeah, after you hear this, I imagine after you hear this in the podcast app, probably a couple of days after okay. that. So, awesome. Uh, it, that's going to be very excited, exciting. And we're hoping to actually have him back for a sister podcast uh, of this. Uh, sister, sister. <laughs> called The Potterverse, which if you guys don't know about it yet, Mary and I are doing a Harry Potter podcast called mm. The Potterverse, where we're dissecting the entire universe, universe. of Harry Potter, where jinx. whether it's the books, <laughs> double jinx, <laughs> Um, the the books, the movies, the uh, the the offshoot movies, the offshoot books, the play, the play, uh, Star Kid, uh, you know, a very Potter musical, uh, the Cursed Child, all of it. It is we are doing it in the Potterverse. We are just making our way into the Chamber of Secrets as of this moment. So we've already completed the Sorcerer's Stone, yes. including the film, which is excellent. So. If you're looking for more Mary and Blake content, please go to maryandblake.com. Check out the Potterverse, or go to Apple Podcasts or any podcatcher of your choice, including Spotify and mm. iHeartRadio. Mm. Like this podcast, the Potterverse is in all of them. That's it. All of them. That's how we roll, baby. I don't mess around. So on that note, you ready to let go? Finally, you ready to let it put go. this out into the world? And I am into the unknown once again. Well done, Elsa. So many good Elsa references. All right, you're welcome for that world. Yes. Let's close this bad boy out, shall we? We shall. Let's do it. interview did you like this podcast if so let us know on social media screenshot your podcast app shoot us uh in your stories and tag us mary and blake media say so just listen to this brought a smile to my face showed me <laughs> taught me something new let us know a fun fact that you gained from this podcast episode that maybe you didn't know about before. Yes, thank you to all of the members over at jointhenerdclan.com, all the nerds out there for helping make this podcast possible, uh, giving all, all of our co-producers, executive producers, associate producers, uh, everybody that are there. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Without you, this podcast is absolutely not possible so 100 man you know and, and luckily you guys are getting early access to this podcast you're seeing it first and you're listening to it first uh so that's even 
better. So remember, guys, go to maryandblake.com. Check out all the great stuff that we have happening over there. Uh, in fact, The Crown is coming back in November, so look forward to that. Yes. That is something to uh, that we'll be covering, I think, for jointhenerdclan.com. And... Uh, this Is Us comes back in November. Yes, that's right. So our This Is Us podcast called This Is Us 2, that of course will be starting back up as well. So we're going to be busy. We, we got a lot of stuff coming. Yeah. I just finished The Handmaid's Diaries. We'd be ready to have season four for that coverage as well at maryandblake.com. And our kids are going back to school. Oh. <laughs> got a lot. It's bittersweet. It is. It's bitter. I'm, I, I, I'm ready for it. But we've spent so many days with them in sequence. I know, I know you particularly. It'll be 101 days. Yeah, um, that it's going to be weird to let them go again. It'll be odd. Yeah. Good. <laughs> it reminds me of Harry Potter. Harry Potter. Terrible, but great. <laughs> <laughs> so we're sending all sorts of warm and love and peace uh. to you listening. We know that this year, 2020, has been a wild ride so far. Um, and so just know that we're thinking about you all and we are so thankful for your patronage, for your subscriptions to our podcast, for listening, for taking the time out of your day to listen to this interview. Blake and I started this podcast just hoping that someone out there in the big old world would, would enjoy listening to us talk about something that we love. So thank you. And apparently you are and you're even watching us uh, for some, for most of you, as a matter of fact. So Thank you, everybody. And make sure you go to outlandercast.com uh, as well, where we have all the great uh, blog posts that are coming in and, uh, and, and really good content uh, all year round, unlike a lot of places that are uh, covering Outlander. We do it all year round, Drought thank Lander you. and everything. Yes, thank you to the Outlander cast staff. We adore you all. You make it all possible. So, on that note, my name's Mary. My name's Blake. And you've been listening to Outlander Cast. <laughs> <laughs>